Last Sunday, December 1st, 2019, the president of the West African nation of Burkina Faso confirmed that 14 people were killed in an attack of a Protestant church in the country's east. Henri Ye, president of the Federation of Evangelical Churches and Missions in Burkina Faso, said this about the church and the attack. It's a small new church with less than 30 members. Most of them are young men and girls between 10 and 14 years old. Only one of them is reported to be over 40 years old. There was no pastor there, just someone who was leading the worship. Women and girls were kept inside the church. Only men were driven outside the church and killed. Among the martyrs, some are very young, 10, 12, and 14 years of age. He continues, we would like Christians around the world to join us in prayer. But there is no need for the church in Burkina Faso to be fearful. No need to be angry, nor to complain. Just pray that the Lord, the Prince of Peace, rescues Burkina Faso from terrorism, from threat and fear. The Lord will give us victory over those who oppress us. This is the fourth attack reported so far this year on Christians in that country. Young men and women, children, missionaries, pastors. We have friends. This church has friends, church-supported missionaries serving in Burkina Faso and Togo and Ghana on the western coast of Africa. After church, I, I encourage you to go and look at the board out in the annex entitled Missions, and you'll see a pin to Ghana and Togo and Burkina Faso leading to our friends Austin and Amanda Gagno, who were here, uh, who gave a presentation to our church a couple years ago before heading back over there. Uh, on the back of your bulletin, you'll see uh, training tomorrow's leaders. That's the Gagno family serving in those countries, uh, along with their two very young children. They're there planting churches, spreading the good news about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace and all of this amid the terrorist-riddled landscape of West Africa. We, along with our brothers and sisters in Burkina Faso and around the world, we cling to the promise spoken long ago by the prophet Isaiah, who says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. From the time Isaiah spoke these words, centuries before the first Christmas and long before, from the moment our first parents fell and were ushered out of Eden, the longing has been for the Prince of Peace to come, for peace to overshadow the violence that sin hath wrought. Those words that I read this week, from the head of the Missionary Evangelical Association, have just been ringing in my ears. Pray the Lord, the Prince of Peace, rescues Burkina Faso. Immediately after Isaiah shares the promise of the son that would be given to us, the promise of, we see the problem. Sin is running rampant among God's people. Arrogance and oppression and pride absolutely rule God's people, Israel. The picture in Isaiah's chapter 9 and 10 is bleak. It's sad. It's terrifying. Terrifying because the Lord is angry with his people. A repeated refrain echoes in their ears as the prophet thunders again and again. 
His anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. The Lord, here in Isaiah chapters 9 and 10, is judging his people. In righteous anger, the Lord's judgment cometh. The hand that once delivered Israel from the Egyptians is now extended to strike his own people. In chapter 10, verses 22 and 23 of Isaiah, it says, Though your people be like the sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed. Overwhelming and righteous, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. God will use the Assyrians, the the people of Assyria, to carry out the judgment on his people. Assyria is an instrument in the hand of God. God will use them to punish his people, and then God will take care of Assyria. If the nations were trees, we'd see only lopped-off branches, lofty trees felled, forest thickets plowed over, the cedars of Lebanon struck down, the axe will meet the wood, and all will come crashing to the ground. See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low. Israel faces judgment at the hand of God. They are, along with their enemies, laid low. The landscape is flattened and desolate. It's mowed down by a holy God. A barren, smoldering wasteland is all that remains. Stand and gaze at the desolate scene. Picture in your mind vast forest reduced to virtual desert. And hear the faint whisper, the voice Speaking promise, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. After destruction, there is hope. Not a faint hope or a wishful hope. This hope is not a dream. We have here in Isaiah 11, hope, in all capital letters, eternal living, faith-filled hope. This is a centuries beforehand promise of the Christ. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This shoot, this branch is our hope and our peace. So we celebrate this Christmas season, Jesus coming to us in the flesh. The eternally existing second person of the Trinity, Jesus, was God and made himself nothing for our sake. It's this first appearance that we celebrate during this time of year. The first appearance inspired the heavenly announcement of peace, which the shepherds heard while tending their flocks. Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. On earth peace. We celebrate the incarnation of Christ, God with us in swaddling clothes, and the peace he brought to those who would believe. And we long for the day when Christ comes again. Yes? When he sets the world at rights and brings peace, final, permanent, perfect peace. The time when the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the yearling and the lion together, a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will feed together, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra. Young children will put their hands into the vipest. Neither will they harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
That's peace. The picture of animals, once enemies, lying down together. How do we experience peace? When will peace come to us, or has it already? Tyler introduced Advent to us last week, the meaning of Advent. This morning we light the Advent candles, first of hope, and then this week of peace. Tyler was spot on with the meaning of the Latin. Uh, Advent is Latin for coming or arrival. We're going to be working with Tyler on his Greek pronunciation, though. That was just terrible. You see, Advent teaches us that peace has come and that peace is coming. It's here and yet not here yet. Where peace is concerned, it's already and not yet. Fleming Rutledge reminds us that Advent is the recognition of the already and not yet. She writes this, it can be argued that Advent, more than any other season in the church year, is immediately relevant to our concrete lives. Advent is where we live, work, play, laugh, struggle, and die. Advent is the time between, between the first coming of Christ and the second, between darkness and dawn, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's not the time of fulfillment, it's the time of waiting. It's not the time of seeing face to face, this is the time of seeing through a glass darkly. It's not the time of triumphant victory, it's the time of bearing the cross. In a very real way, peace has come. This is gloriously, wondrously true. Far from the barren landscape of Isaiah's time, we live post-Christmas. We live long, long after, rather than long before, Christ's inaugural appearance. We aren't staring out across desolation, awaiting the promise. We live post-fulfillment. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the stump of Jesse has come, just as was promised. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. We know, we know because of our position on the other side of the cradle and the cross, that Jesus is this shoot. We have the genealogy of the Christ, which makes this clear. Listen for the names of Jesse and David, as my good friend Andrew Peterson sings for us. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar, Perez he brought Hezron up and then came. Aaron, then Amenadab, then Nashan, who is then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah.
gonna sing this twice Jacob was the father of Joseph The husband of Mary The mother of Christ It matters that Jesus is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. Did you hear Jesse's name, David's name? It matters for the fulfillment of prophecy, to be sure. But the expectation of the people was that the coming king would be a coming David. Every king of Israel was compared to their father, David. Only David is the son of Jesse. So when Jesse produces a shoot, it must be David. But it's not David again, it's the Messiah, who is a new and better David. One of the most remarkable features of this passage is the dual title of the coming king as both the shoot and the root of Jesse. Verse 1 tells us a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, that's Christ. And then verse 10 tells us in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The reference to Jesse indicates the shoot is not just another king in David's line, but rather another David. But to call the expected king the root of Jesse, not only the shoot, but the root also, is another matter altogether. This means that Jesse sprang from him. He is the root support of David's family. The Messiah is the root cause of his own family tree. Wrap your head around that. Pending the day when, within his family, he will shoot forth. Jesus is the author of peace. From eternity past, the originator of peace, he is the source of peace. He is the one who brings all peace, both the root and the shoot of Jesse. That's the peace we need. Not temporary peace, but eternal peace. The author of peace. Peace for us is relational, spiritual wholeness. It's our well-being. It's our security. Jesus is the fulfillment of promise, the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests. Jesus is peace for us. On earth, peace. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he himself is our peace. Jesus' first appearance was that which brought reconciliation between God and man. Our only shot at a relationship with God is Jesus. Our only shot at a relationship with God is Jesus. He's the root and the shoot of Jesse. You see, God, just like he was mad with his people here in Isaiah, God was righteously, justly, understandably angry, righteously angry with us, with you and with me. What we deserve is destruction. We have warranted only and nothing but the axe. Our only shot at a relationship was the Christ child coming in the flesh to rob our sin and make us holy. A relationship with God without the birth of the baby was more than we could ever have even dreamt about. It was a pipe dream. It was an impossibility. Nothing we could ever have done would have ever in a million years made us right with God. Nothing you can ever do On your own, if you had a million lifetimes, nothing you could ever do was going to make you right with God. It took God himself coming in the flesh. Christ came and brought us peace. Peace through his body and his blood. The whole reason he came was to die for us. 
peace through the violence of the cross. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. His lot, Jesus' lot for our sake, was crushing, wounding punishment, resulting in death. Our lot in him and because of him is peace. Peace bringing light and life. Peace resulting in love and relationship. Jesus is peace with God where absolutely none existed before. Jesus is peace with God where none could ever exist otherwise. You will never find peace with God apart from Christ. Ever. J.C. Ryle says, Now is come to earth the peace of God which passes all understanding. The perfect peace between a holy God and sinful man. Peace which Christ was to purchase with his own blood. Peace which is offered freely to all mankind. This is not the empty promise or wishful hope of world peace. This is true relational spiritual wholeness, security, well-being. And this in the most significant and meaningful way. This is peace with our creator. Peace with our judge. Peace with our Lord and our Savior. Jesus is our peace. Peace has come. The reality of a relationship with God is here and now. It's available full and free right now because of Christ. Come to Jesus, friends. Come to Jesus, the promised one, the the king, the new and better David, the shoot and the root, the branch, where there is literally nothing else, where everything else has been wiped out and destroyed. We have Jesus who pops up as a shoot. And we have, in Jesus, everything we could possibly need. You will never find peace with God through (laughs) do-goodness, church attendance, generosity, piety, hard work, being a good person, as if there is such a thing. You will never find peace through God, peace with God through anything you do. Never. Just go ahead and disavow yourself of that notion. If I just do enough, I can tip the cosmic scales of justice. I'm a better person than that guy, so maybe God will let me in. I've done more good than bad in this life. No, you haven't. You can tell yourself that, but that's never going to do it. Never, never, ever going to do it. Not in a million lifetimes. If you had a million do-overs, you would never find peace with God, which is exactly why Jesus came. Peace with God comes only through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is peace, the peace that has come and is coming. The picture of peace to come is beautiful, and it's it's mind-bending. We can't wrap our heads around it. We can't understand how in the world this might work. It's so far outside our experience, beyond our imaginations, we just have to take it in faith that somehow, imagine, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants, imagine, will play near the hole of the cobra. Young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They'll neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord in the waters as the waters cover the sea. So secure is the coming peace that a youngster can exercise dominion, originally given to Adam and Eve. 
a kid, a child, infants playing cards with cobras, hanging out and drinking tea with Mr. and Mrs. Viper. There will be no hostility. There will be no fear. It's a new kind of world, a new creation, a return to Eden, peace. The human family will finally be all one together in Christ, all who belong to him by faith. The very environment will breathe with the peace of God and will never hurt one another ever again. Can you imagine? That's so far outside our experience. We'll never hurt one another. Every revolution, every political campaign, every civil movement has promised us what it could never possibly give. But if we bow ourselves to the rule of Jesus Christ, he will lead us into everything safe and pleasant with no dark side, no guilty consciences, no unhealed wounds. God will not set us in the clouds to play harps and sing in massed choirs forever. Uh, that's, that's not our eternity. The victory of Jesus will be the awakening and the purifying, the restoring, the gladdening of all things human. His kingdom is the only and final answer to poverty, hunger, injustice, terrorism, racism, hatred, and all other sorrows that we have ourselves created. His kingdom's the only answer. If it sounds too good to be true, peace, true and lasting, it's because we've never experienced it. Its beauty and its magnitude surpass our sight. But we have reason to believe this audacious gospel. We saw the future. We saw future glory in the resurrected Jesus on that Easter morning long ago. It is a knowable event in our past. Jesus' immortal newness on that day was the future in advance, a glimpse of what was to come. Peace over violence, peace over death, peace over hostility, peace over broken relationship, and all of it was put on public display. Peace is coming. And the fullness of this kingdom is only an inch away. All that stands between this present moment and the promised future it's the command of God. That's it. In a flash. All he has to do is give the order. And Christ will come again and judge and save and rule because he himself is our peace. Isaiah isn't telling us when. We, we would love to know when. He's not telling us when. He's telling us who. And that should be enough for us. He tells us who. Peace is coming that is, Jesus himself is coming. When Christ comes, the last verses of Isaiah 11 tell us, no earthly power can prevent his followers' joy. Whatever happens to us in the meantime, in this in-between, he will bring us safely home from all over the world in a second exodus. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles to Israel. He will assemble the scattered peoples of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's journey will vanish. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah nor Judah hostile of Ephraim. They will 
Swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people, that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up out of Egypt. None of those who belong to him will be prisoners of war, missing in action. We will forget the old jealousies. We will unite in victory and line up behind the victor. And we will enjoy the happiest homecoming in history. Peace, friends, is coming. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Peace has come. Peace is coming. For our brothers and sisters around the world, in Burkina Faso and other locations, who live day to day, not knowing if today will be their last, not knowing if the persecution they face for their faith in Jesus will cost them their lives, The peace that Jesus has brought and the peace that Jesus is going to bring gives them great joy. They are secure, not in this world, but in Jesus. They are whole, not in this world, but in Jesus. They are satisfied, not in this world, but in Jesus. They long for the kingdom, not for any of the silly, sad kingdoms of this world, which are all temporary, all passing away. But they long for the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. Jesus has come. Happy Christmas. Jesus is coming any day. Could be today. He's come and he's coming. The Prince of Peace, the author of peace, the source of peace offers to you peace. That is to say, Jesus offers to you himself. I wonder if you've given your life to him. I wonder if you ex- you've experienced the, the peace that only he can bring, because there is no peace with God apart from him. And you will fight for the rest of your life trying to experience peace with your fellow man apart from Christ. Can't happen. But Jesus offers to you, to you, this day, peace himself come to me he says all you who are weary and heavy laden you'll find rest for your souls peace i pray you take hold of the life and the peace that he offers and brothers sisters christians let us tell the world Peace has come. Peace is coming. Let's pray. Father, oh, the joy that fills our souls knowing that Jesus has come, that he has made the way, the only way to experience peace, reconciled relationship with you. What peace we can enjoy because Jesus has come. And yet we know in this world we will have trouble. 
there is sickness and sadness and death and dying. There's terrorist attacks on our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's evil. We hurt one another. And yet we know peace is coming to set the world at rights. To make everything sad come untrue. So we long for that day and we work for that day telling the world that Jesus has come, that he's coming again. And the offer that, that he offers, we get from no one else, from nothing else. We will never experience the peace Jesus brings apart from him. Father, help us to cling to Jesus. Help us to hold on to this promise, no matter what it is we're going through knowing that in Christ we can have peace with you and a future peace that is certain. We thank you for Jesus, the author, the source of peace. It's in his perfect and peaceful name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song. in peace. Serve the Lord. Love you all. Shall